0: Hey, it's Brian. Big announcement, everybody. Work in Sports is sponsoring the first ever Job Recovery Summit as part of Hashtag Sports virtual conference. We are so excited to be partnering with Hashtag Sports on this incredibly important initiative. Get this. Registration is free. Yes, free. There is no excuse for you not to attend. I want you all there. I will be hosting multiple panels, and I'm bringing together an all-star group, some of your favorite podcast guests of all time. I've got confirmations from John Ferguson, VP of People and Culture from Monumental Sports and Entertainment, Callie Franklin, who, when I interviewed her, was the VP of Human Resources at NYCFC, but now she's moved to Overtime Elite, so we're going to have some really cool conversations there. Joan Lynch will be joining us, the Chief Content Officer from Working Nation, It's gonna be amazing. The Job Recovery Summit takes place live June 17th, 12.30 to 3.30. And like I said, I've got more people coming. Those are just the confirmations I have so far. The entire lineup of events and sessions for the hashtag sports virtual conference, which is three days, looks amazing. But the most important part is that you attend the Job Recovery Summit, so get in for that. Register today at hashtag sports.com slash virtual. Or you can also go to the events tab at hashtag sports.com, click on the job recovery summit and register. And don't forget to mention you heard all about it on the work in sports podcast. All right, let's start the countdown. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition, Lift off. Hey, everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkinSports.com, and this is the WorkinSports Podcast. I know this may sound trite, but I seriously learn something from every interview I conduct for this show. It's true. When you keep yourself open to learning and understanding of your own need for improvement— you start to see the opportunities in everything. You start to see these chances to learn and improve everywhere, just if you're open to it. Now, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but today's guest, Shabazz Khan, Director of Digital Content for the Minnesota Timberwolves and Lynx, really woke me up during this interview with his ideas. Now, full disclosure, I was piqued from the get-go because... If someone asked me what my dream job would be other than what I'm doing right at this very moment, it would probably be leading a digital content group for a pro sports team. So the fact that Shabazz is doing that right now had me like kind of peaked from the get go. I'll be fully full disclosure there. Like this is something that really, really interests me and I think is a super cool career. But. To get back on track, one thing I always listen for in all of my interviews is how someone got the gig they currently occupy or frankly any of their jobs throughout their career how did they how did they cut through the noise? How did they go from 200 people applying for this job and they became the one what did they do? Did they find out about the job on our site workinsports.com, like Dan Kaufman from the New York Jets? Did they get it by referral and networking like Hannah Huseman from the Philadelphia Phillies? Did they have some other technique that got them noticed and just really stand out from the rest of the crowd? Like, what was it? What is that formula that people use to become the one? Well, Shabazz shares a story coming up shortly. I'll let him tell you all the details. But he tells it about how he got his first job with the T-Wolves. And it's so interesting to me that I have now cited it in multiple speaking engagements that I've been a part of. It's a Zoom world. I've been doing a lot of career-focused panels, and this is one of those stories I just really like to tell now. I'm sharing Shabazz's story. I'll summarize it quickly, and then you can listen to him get into all the details. But essentially, he wanted to work for the T-Wolves as a social media associate. After graduating college, this is what he wanted to do. And he figured out a way to make himself come to life as a candidate. He started a Twitter account and began doing the actual job of a social media associate for the T-Wolves. Seriously, he started doing the job. He was able to sh- then show the T-Wolves how he would operate if the position was actually his. His tone, his creativity, how he live tweet during a game, the way that he would share videos, what he would do. He created his own proof of concept, This is what I mean by what else can you do to stand out? When I talk and say that and I say, what else can you do to stand out? What is that thing you can do? What is that extra 10% you can do? This is a prime example of that. I've said this before and I'll say it again. It takes a lot of faith to hire someone. You are banking on their words and the paper they hand you celebrating themselves to confirm that they can do the job. You you haven't actually seen them do the job. You don't know that they're capable. I mean, you interview them and you hear them sell themselves, but you never really know how they will operate until you get them in your building. And that is daunting. There's a lot of faith and there's like a leap that you have to make when you hire someone. I have done this before where I have hired people that were incredible in the interview process. Their references were good. Their resume was tight. And then in the job itself, they failed. What Shabazz did was genius because it overcame the fear that employers have of hiring someone who can't really perform when the red light goes on. He showed that he could. He gave them a window into his performance and they liked it. If you can figure out this magic for yourself, if you can figure out how to show proof of concept and show you can do the job and help quell any fears an employer may have on making you their next hire, that is magic. And Shabazz captured that in his process. I'm telling you, there's a lot more than just this story coming up. Shabazz shares great stuff on creating digital content during this interview. So I'm going to shut up and let you listen. Here is Shabazz Khan, Director of Digital Content for the Minnesota Timberwolves and Lynx. Hey, Shabaz, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks a lot for jumping on. I always enjoy content uh, content discussions because my background is a lot in the sports media, but just hearing how things are developing and changing, I think, can be really interesting. So thanks again for jumping on this conversation. Of course, I'm looking forward to it. So I love getting into my guest's background and seeing something that kind of jumps off the page and makes the conversation really interesting and fun to start with. Um, it's pretty clear for you. You started college studying electronics engineering, and that's quite a departure from where you are now in sp- sports social media content. So what was your plan early on and how did you eventually change and and start focusing in the sports realm?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. As you alluded to, I my first two years in college, I was an electrical engineering major. And the reason as to which I, I was that is my brother is actually uh, by trade a, an electrical engineer. And he has quite a few passions on the side. He's, he's an entrepreneur and he owns a couple of restaurants. And so um, what I was thinking and, and what my parents had told me is, hey, you can follow the same suit, uh, chase basketball on the side or whatever you want to do. and. and get something steady um, in engineering and so I had done it and um, I was fine at it uh, but I wasn't necessarily passionate about it and so from then on you know I started looking elsewhere talked to my brother a little bit um, and he was like you know chase chase what your passions are so I talked to a career counselor um, heard of a few options for me in terms of majors and then I switched the journalism school during my sophomore year to be a communications major And and lo and behold, I had found a position in the Timberwolves as a social media associate or intern um, full time. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. And I actually applied for my first uh, two years in journalism school and I didn't end up getting it. Um, But I knew that I wanted to at least try it out. So in the midst of all that, I tried to secure as many uh, internships as I could. Uh, to to bolster my resume so that the third time that I applied, I could actually get the job and it it worked out. Um, So that's kind of the runaround story.
0: That's awesome. So you joined, as you mentioned, the Timberwolves and Lynx in 2014 as a social media associate. What do you remember? Like I remember to this day my interview process when I got my first job in sports. I remember like every last detail of it because I think there's some weird obsession there. But what do you remember as you look back at that interview process, your first job, trying to get into sports, trying to break in—what was that moment like for you?
1: Yeah, for me, it was it
0: was super rewarding. It was
1: challenging for sure. I think it taught me a lot about uh, you know myself and, and also how to deal and handle with um, some some nos in your life, and I, I don't want to say failure. Uh, because I learned from it. But, you know, frankly, the first two years that I didn't get it, I didn't necessarily have a plan for myself. I didn't know what my career path was going to be. Um, but getting those nos the first two years, um, you know, it. I look back and I learned it's probably the best thing that could have happened to me because it pushed me to go outside of sports and realize something sports is, it, what it means to me and, and what I wanted it to, to mean for me in terms of my career. And also getting some experience outside of sports um, was invaluable for me. Um, now that I'm in it, and I think helping grow quite a bit. But in terms of the interview process, um, I remember being very nervous. You know, I was a, I was a senior in college, and I had gotten all these jobs for a chance at this interview. And uh, I, I, it was my third time interviewing for the job, so uh, it was now or never at that point. And uh, it was it was a little bit hectic, but I remember wanting it so bad. And I did some out-of-the-box things at the time, I think, to to try to secure that job
0: explain what did you do that was out of the box i want to hear this
1: <laughs> yeah um so it was starting out with the minnesota Lynx, and uh, one thing that i tended to do for my first two sports jobs is i created fake accounts um that would mimic what i would be doing for the real accounts prior to me joining so i live tweeted games uh prior to to actually being on the team and live tweeting games for real and kind of showed off what I could do um, on these accounts before joining.
0: That's a really great idea. I like that. So, okay, they hire you, they they had interviewed you for three consecutive years. They were probably very used to seeing you and were like, all right, I think it's time to hire this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you jump right in working with the NBA and WNBA on their social channels, but, obviously they're not gonna throw out like hey here's all the strategy and execution go like you're not going to have all that power and ability so what did your role look like initially with them and how did it grow in that first year
1: yeah great question um you know surprisingly i was i was given quite a bit of leeway in terms of creativity to to learn and grow and so starting out with the wnba um as that season started i remember covering media day off the bat. And, and really at the time, Snapchat was a big deal. Vine was a big deal. Um, not to say that Snapchat is not a big deal anymore, but for us, it's obviously lower on the totem pole now than it was at the time. Um, and, and so really it was live content coverage, um, you know, a lot of selfies for players, um, and then understra- understanding strategy and, and how to grow some of these brands, specifically in the WNBA um you know in 2014 which was at a very different place than it is now um covering the games live and and so you know now we have products within both nba and wnba that are able to clip highlights in real time and you're able to to get every highlight but at the time you had to edit the clips on final cut download them from an email that you would get from it um edit them down for vine so that they could loop on twitter um so it taught me a lot you know i i had Everything from video, no editing experience to to quickly getting into that realm and and trying to um, get things out very quickly. Um, And then I learned a lot about a lot of the platforms. I was in everything from Pinterest to Tumblr to Vine to Snapchat at the time. We had accounts on um, all of those. And so I, I got my first taste pretty quick.
0: So did you feel like they trained you into the person that they wanted, like they trained you on Final Cut and the different platforms, or did you have to kind of come in with some working knowledge of those, those platforms and tools?
1: Yeah. Um,
0: you, the, the
1: way that, I framed that experience was that it was very um, self-learning oriented and as long as you had the, the general idea of, of the voice and the tone which you know was talked about initially um, from there it was when you're assigned to something and for me it was covering games live um, from a Twitter perspective or sometimes it was Snapchat um, you know that you go out and you do whatever it takes to, to make that experience valuable and you know, it was, again, it was relatively early in sports social. And, and so I think I was kind of blessed to be in that position because now, you know, knowing I, I had interns at uh, in my past stops for the past five years, um, th- that experience is very different now. And um, unfortunately, it's not as um, kind of thrown thrown into the fire. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It, it was truly beneficial to me, um, but I think there's a little bit more, um buttoned up approach uh, and rightfully so from organizations uh, standpoints and uh, I I probably wouldn't have been able to do all this on the job had I joined right now. Um, It it would be a lot more self-learning outside of work where at that time it was in work. Uh, I I was allocating my time to a little bit of both.
0: I think it's fascinating how much things change, but how much they stay the same. Like my, my first role in the sports industry was as a production assistant in the sports media. And my job was to watch games, cut highlights and get them edited out to go on our broadcast at 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock, whatever it was. And really there's not that much difference. So like we were watching a live game and cutting highlights, you were doing something very similar. It's just the real time, being able to push it out immediately to an audience that's watching in in a various way. It's it's just so interesting to me to see how technology has changed things, but the concepts tend to be relatively similar.
1: Absolutely, one hundred percent.
0: Yeah. I love these stats on your LinkedIn profile. So I'm always telling people that they need to include as many data points as they can from your first year with the Timberwolves on your LinkedIn profile. You say right in there, I increased the Timberwolves following on social platforms by 400,000 on Facebook, 95,000 on Twitter and 108,000 on Instagram. And I love using data points. It's like proof of concept right there. So good job. Uh, But let's get into the how. So in your first year, what was that approach your style your angles how did you approach growing the audience and being interesting yeah uh, great question um on, on the tim
1: rolls and I, I came in at a very fortunate time because um we had just made a huge trade i remember my first day worked for the tim rolls we traded for andrew wiggins and zach lavine andrew wiggins was the number one pick at the time so i came in a very fortunate time and i was hired back for the wolf season at a unique time and that season we also traded for kevin garnett to come back um to the Timberwolves, which is obviously a huge deal so as much as i'd like to say it was all due to, to everything I, i'm doing a lot of it has to do with what's going on on the court which it's it's, not, it's another interesting facet of working in sports uh, a lot of what you're doing is attributed to, to what's going on on the court but that being said you know in my time with both the timberwolves and the kings um, I hadn't seen a playoff berth until 2018. I hadn't seen above a 30-win season until then. So what we are doing off the court in terms of social, the way that I like to frame it is it's outside of the court, we're the most public-facing entity uh, for the organization. And so what we're doing from a content perspective, our tone and our voice um, is extremely important. And that first year, just because of the newness of everything and the players that we had, um it was a lot more fun it was a lot more young because our team was the youngest at the time in the league um it was more about the future than the now um so you know we took a an out-of-the-box approach for the voice and the tone that year and and for me it was really having fun um it was at the time where a lot of nba teams early on were bickering with each other and the the beginning of that um and so you know we had won 16 games that year but I tried to turn it on its head a little bit, and we. I remember we played Steph Curry one night and the Warriors, and he drained a half court shot. And I probably wouldn't have done this at another NBA team, but but here because we were focused on the future, I tweeted at him and said, "We get it, Steph. You can be MVP." Um, and and surprisingly enough, it it, it went on a ESPN. And it was on Sports Center, and I got an email from one of our basketball execs, and I was ex- I was expecting it was going to be okay. Well, you got to call him out, but it was actually quite the opposite. It was like, okay, this was really funny, uh, nice job. And, you know, that gave me a bunch of confidence to to roll with the that tone voice and um, continue down that path. And I think that attributed to a lot of it, in addition to having all these bright young stars and um, a fan favorite coming back.
0: So I want to get into your time with the Kings, but I want to I want to get lean into what you were just talking about, too, because I think that's part of the fun of social media and the way we are executing content nowadays. I love it when the teams, the brands, the organizations have the fun banter back and forth. The fact that the social accounts able to talk a little bit of trash to Steph Curry in a fun way. I love that stuff. It's hard to be funny too, though. It's hard to be entertaining. It's not an easy thing to accomplish. But is that the kind of fun little secret of the league is that the digital media teams on various digital media groups or on different teams are, you guys have your own little community, you guys kind of know each other, you kind of interact and, and there's some personality at play there. Is that part of the part of the gig?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think all of the NBA social folks, we, we all know each other. Um, and in my six years of the league, I've, I've been fortunate to have some really good friends in the league. My, one of my best friends works for the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, we talk a lot offline. We have our private Facebook group, um, and then we're constantly in communication with each other. You know, As we're on the road, 82 or 41 games a season, you get to see a lot of the same faces over and over. And so for me personally, whenever I do go on the road, um, you know, I try to reach out for our, to all of the other teams, social or, or digital heads, and get a tour of the office, have some lunch with them, catch up, um, talk shop. So uh, yeah, no, it's it's a great part of the NBA. Um, it's it's its own little fraternity.
0: I love that. I think it's so much fun. I, I love the social accounts that have a personality that aren't trying to be too buttoned up, and understanding that this is still an entertainment world. Is that something that needs to be? I don't know, emphasized across the league is that we're entertaining. That's what we're doing here. And that's the most important thing to remember.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I think that's a great point at the end of the day, you know, basketball is entertainment. Um, At the same time, it does a lot of good outside of just being entertainment. And I think right now, unfortunately the Timberwolves aren't in that bubble, but you know, there's a lot of social justice initiatives that are happening and it shows you what sports can do as you've seen across MLS and other teams. Um, MLB right now, um, everything that's going on. So Absolutely. It, it, it's a, it's a entertainment um, outlet and at the same token, you know, there's a lot of good it can do for people as well. Um, and so you, you hit on it earlier, but there, there's gotta be a little bit of a balance. You don't want to go too far down the line in terms of um, you want to toe the line in terms of the voice and the tone that you're using and never go overboard. But you also have to realize, you know, the other side of it too, is, is that it's a business as well um and and there's also values that organizations stand for that you have to abide by in that tone and voice so a lot of things to keep in mind
0: yeah i would think that would keep me up at night too because unfortunately we've seen some people in social that have gone too far and it's ended up in them losing their jobs and you're like you could see it kind of coming and and you have to know you have to i would think that would be an important part of your role or anybody in social media is to know where that line is
1: yeah absolutely um we talk a lot about newspaper headlines and what we mean by that is anytime the way that i i try to frame it with my teams and in my past is if there's any anything that's ever newspaper worthy that's not court related uh, meaning what's happening on the court it's coming from our social accounts and it could be deemed good or bad just run it by um just so that we can we can have you know another set of eyes on it we can run it up the flagpole if need be um, but, but that really puts us in a place where we tend not to have too many of those instances. Um, and every once in a while, you know, frankly, it's, it's good to have an instance, which is, it, is, is pushing the envelope or maybe gets you a little bit on the hot seat because it reminds you of, of how nimble you have to be with this stuff. Um, and then the next time you realize, okay, there's a the line, we were very close to it. Let's not get there again.
0: Yeah. The good news is nowadays, everybody seems to have a short term memory and we move on quickly from things. But so let's talk. Let's get back into your specific career. Um, Often people have to move on from an organization in order to move up and get new roles and responsibilities. After a year with the Timberwolves, you left and went to the Kings. You've made some references to that. Um, Is that why you jumped? Was that you just wanted to take on a new challenge and, and have some more responsibilities in your role? Um, no, actually. So, uh, the way that the associate roles work, which still
1: exists at the Timberwolves and Lynx, is you have one season either at the WNBA or, you know, if you're, uh, brought back, you have both the WNBA and the NBA season to stick on. Um, and then after that, that's essentially the end of your tenure, unless you get moved into a full-time role. Um, we only had one person in social at the time, full-time. And so that role was already taken. There wasn't an opportunity in, in terms of growth and, uh, I actually went to an ad agency in terms of my full-time job after college. My college uh, tenure coincided with the end of my Timberwolves tenure, and pretty much the next week I had moved to Chicago to work at an ad agency that oversaw celebrities and athletes and musicians, social media, um, and I got tired of it very quickly. It wasn't the same as sports, um, so I quit my that full-time job three months in without having anything lined up. Um, And I reached out to a bunch of NBA folks, one of which was at the Sacramento Kings, who I met during my internship. Um, And I remember I had written my name down on a napkin and handed it out um, at the All-Star weekend in New York. I flew myself out to the Summer League, and I tried to network as much as possible. And luckily, it worked out because I added uh, my boss, Jason Wise, at the Kings on LinkedIn. And uh, I said, hey, I'm searching for an opportunity. I don't know if you remember me. I'm the kid who wrote his name down on a napkin, et cetera, et cetera. Landed me an interview and then uh, I got there. So I I did not leave um, the the Wolves um, to move up, although that opportunity came by itself, um, you know, the opportunity to move up. And uh, from there, you know, I, I tried to grow as much as possible and network again within the league as much as possible because you never know when those opportunities can hit you.
0: So how did things expand and change for you as you went to the Kings? You were then a digital producer. You had a little bit more than just social media under you or that you were, that you were associated with. How were the roles and expectations kind of different as you went to the Kings experience?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, So it was very interesting because I had no web experience from coding, from Writing really, I mean, I went to journalism school, but in terms of professional experience, it was social, which you can argue it has copywriting, which I would argue. Um, and there is a writing component to it, but formally writing for a website um, and, and being an editor of some sorts, um, that's a completely different perspective. So when I went to the Kings, it was digital producer, as you alluded to, and it was representing all of our social platforms and our web platforms. So I was really producing day to day content for all of our Kings platforms and all of our web platforms. Um, So writing every day for the website, what's going on on the court, and then also producing on the social side. And then we were opening up a new arena um, in Sacramento that year as well. So it was starting to manage um, and produce uh, content for the new account for the arena itself.
0: Wow. So teams and organizations tend to have different styles, different approaches, different best practices or corporate voice did the Kings and Timberwolves present that kind of a challenge for you? Were they different approaches to content?
1: Yeah. um, You know, frankly, I was a little scared when I first made the move because I was born and raised a Timberwolves fan. And I remember talking to my family and I'm like, I don't know if I can do this because I've never rooted for another NBA team, let alone, you know, being the tone and voice for uh, another NBA team, which I was frankly a little bit afraid of. But when I went to Sacramento and I got to understand the culture there and and now, um, you know, they've been granted an MLS team in, in 2023. But you know, at the time, for for so many years, Sacramento's only professional sports team was the Kings, and so the fan bases are very different there. The the expectations are very different there, um, and, and what we were able to do on the social side is also very different. And the way that I had taken it, I, I think we leaned in a lot more in Sacramento to that fun persona um than I did in Minnesota because frankly there was a lot of parallels between the Timberwolves and the Kings you know we were both um number one and two in terms of losing seasons consecutively um and not making the playoffs consecutively and so what we needed to do from an outside of the box perspective I remember my first preseason game we were playing the Lakers and um I was controlling the Kings social and I asked my boss um you know there was we talked about tone and voice, but I wanted to take a risk. And it was a preseason game. And so I was like, Hey, how about we tweet and we call the Lakers, the acres and wait till someone calls us out when they realize the whole game, we're calling them the acres because someone's inevitably, inevitably going to ask, why are you not calling them the Lakers? And I was like, okay, we'll respond and say, we're going to give them the L that's why. Um, And after that, it really set off a blaze. Um and you know uh, talked to my boss a lot and that was kind of the persona that we had taken for the first two years that I was there is really playing into having fun with other teams and taking shots at other teams and and frankly um, you know it was encouraged and I think you know one of the things that I was judged upon when I when I moved along in my career with the Kings was how many national headlines we could get for social specific things that we did and so that was really a challenge for me um and it was something that i took pride in is having fun on that realm and being considered the funniest nba twitter account like that was something i take pride in but it was it's very different than now and where i was at the kings um in terms of the approaches that that i use and that the team uses
0: I love the long setup too, like waiting for somebody to take the bait and using the lake the acres over and over. I mean that's great, like the patience to wait for the payoff. I mean the, the the payoff is just, I love that. <laughs> okay, so after the Kings, you jump back with the Timberwolves, and you're now the senior manager of di- well, you were the sig- senior manager of digital content. So previous time you were the Timberwolves and Lynx all social media. Now, again, you're taking what you've learned from the Kings. You're expanding upon that. What's the role like now with the, with the T-Wolves? Is it even broader? Yeah. uh, Great question. So now uh, for,
1: for the first year and a half or so it it was solely social, but it was a little bit broader in terms of social because, you know, in the past it was organic only and now it's paid. It's all of our sponsorship valuation um, probably 30 to 40% of what I'm doing is creating, um, partnership campaigns that we can go out and pitch and then evaluating those campaigns based on the knowledge that I have of the organic and paid space, you know, in terms of what works well. Um, so I work very closely with our partnerships team to develop, um, you know, different ideas that we can activate upon. Um, I, I, handle all of our, uh, paid internally now. So that's also a skill set. you know, that, um, I was excited to, to look into and, and grow in um, and then in terms of the day-to-day you know uh, that's something that my team is is handling internally in terms of execution I'm a little bit removed from that and there's some times where I miss it a little bit but they do a great job They're really good at what they do um, as well um, so I'm a little bit removed on that front um, but I'm still very actively involved in terms of game days um, we've brought all of our photography internally meaning on our social team, Um, So between myself and uh, three members of of the team, uh, social, um, you know, we're responsible for all the photography that get that ends up in uh, players, DMs or text messages. And then our Instagram feed, our Instagram stories, um, you know, our our social platforms um, and then all the day to day again in terms of, of that is executed by the rest of my team. So it's a it's a it's a interesting mix between paid, between sponsorships, between strategy and execution, tone and voice. Um, and then, you know, developing new ideas and campaigns, whether it be for activation from sponsorships or new mediums, as you know, TikTok, uh, the the meteor uh, rise of TikTok, um, which actually coincidentally, I remember I was at the Kings and uh, it was Musical.ly and we had created a Musical.ly account. And at the time I was like, this is the stupidest app I could ever think of, but we were still doing stuff for it. And I never thought it would be this thing. Um, and, and now, you know, I'm, a lot of what I'm doing is talking about TikTok strategy and what we can do differently on that front. So it's, there's never a dull day for sure.
0: Yeah. I think that's gotta be a difficult part of it is that you're always being bombarded with some new platform and some new idea and vetting whether it's worth it or not. Like that has to be a a pretty big challenge in it all. So one thing I wanted to uh, lean into a little bit there was. You know, the further you get in your career, the, the further away you get from that individual contributor role where you're the one actually tweeting or the one actually watching the game. And you take on all those extra responsibilities like you were talking about. I mean, managing people is a big change or setting strategy or partnership back to, you know, accounts and strategies that way. What was the biggest challenge for you as you kind of migrated from being the guy watching the games and tweeting and pushing out content to being the one that had to set the strategy and manage the people and all of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's definitely a big change at first. It's one that I knew was inevitable in terms of of growth um, in in this field. And and so I was looking forward to it. But I I think the biggest change for me was one um, understanding and and trying to continue to to help uh, facilitate others growth in different realms. Because the thing about social is the way that I would tweet is is Even if it's the same tone and voice and strategy that we're using, it's different than the way somebody else would do it. And so it's not so much, hey, you got to do it this way, but it's trying to guide others in in terms of here's the the strategy that we have in place. Here's the ideas that we've discussed. Now you run with it. Um, And so for me, the the managing side of things, of course, I think it's the biggest rewarding uh, piece of any job in terms of being a manager, but also the most challenging. Um, because there's a lot of different ideas at play, um, and and there's also, you know, others' growth that you're um, somewhat responsible for leading, and so um, that's something that, you know, I get really excited about in terms of uh, managing and and being part of a team that does great work uh, day-to-day, but also knowing that, you know, I've I've had that experience in the the um, day-to-day, and my experience might be very different than their experience, so trying to take small bits of learning from my experience um, and trying to intertwine them where it makes sense, but not overdoing it because I, I feel as if a lot of times, especially in this somewhat new industry, um, I, I've heard horror stories of micromanaging based on past expectations and that's not the person I am um, and that's not the manager that I wanna be. So I try to be very cognizant of that and, and let my team be a little bit more autonomous and then have the discussions that we need to have um check-in on a weekly basis and and all of that and then the other difficult thing too is as you said there's something new coming up all the time so um i tried to take it upon me to to learn a lot of new things and in that was the paid space in that was photography um, in that was the sponsorship space and evaluation so trying to learn a lot about all that um it's difficult but it's also very rewarding and
0: challenging for me so with that in mind you're it's- Social and content touches so many groups within the organization. You know, like you said, it it impacts sponsorship deals and long-term partnerships and sales and marketing and promotions and so many different avenues of the organization flow through content. Because as you made the point earlier, other than the Encore product, this is the most consumer-facing thing that you do is the social voice. Um, How important was that to be able to work cross-functionally with other groups and be able to just work collectively as part of the team in the organization and and work across those those different uh, groups within the organization?
1: Yeah, no, great question. Um, I, I think that's probably one of, if not the biggest piece of, of working in this industry is having the understanding and, and having the communication skills to be able to educate uh, where you need to across the organization and be a, a resource for the rest of the organization as well, because you know, we really truly hit on everything from social responsibility, community outreach and, and working with that team to sponsorships, to sales, uh, ticket sales, creatives in terms of design, uh, marketing, PR. They're all really there's some piece that is intertwined with our department. So we really have to be aware and in the know with all of those other departments while also you know, allowing them to be educated regarding why we do what we do. Because a lot of times, you know, one of the challenges in the corporate world, especially with social, is everyone internally within an organization might feel as if their department's initiatives are the most important. And especially when it comes to social, when you have asks from every department saying, hey, can we tweet this? Um, There should be a semblance of an understanding in terms of why we're doing what we're doing and why we're posting it on this platform, why we're not posting at all, why we're posting it as a dark post on the paid space. Um, and, and, I'm very fortunate to have great relationships across the organization and, and understanding. Um, and I think that the biggest representation of that is, you know, as I said, I, I work very closely with sponsorships and especially in sports, we hear a lot of, of bad stories at times that, Hey, sponsorship sold something and we didn't know about it as a social team. And that's never the case here. So, um, I'm very fortunate, um, on that front. And again, you, you gotta have great relationships across the board, not only internally, but externally.
0: How challenging is it now? I mean, obviously, we're in a very strange world. There's an NBA bubble. The T-Wolves are not part of it. There's a lot going on in in the world. Like, how are you able to manage the voice now? Like, what does it look like for you and your team to still be active and engaging with your fan base, but maybe not having a whole lot of things to comment on?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, So, you know, we also oversee the, the Minnesota Lynx, our WNBA's team, Teams uh, social. We also have an e-gaming team, uh, the T Wolves Gaming, and, and of course, you know, um, with everything going on, not only across the country but specifically in our hometown in, in Minneapolis, we we had to ensure that we were being um, very strategic about what we were doing, and, and really what we landed on is, unless we're doing something to add to the conversation and truly make a change, let's not do anything um, from a social standpoint until we feel confident that what we're doing is actually going to drive change or, or make a difference. And so from our players attending some of the, the protests and the rallies here to what we were doing as an organization, which was, uh, you know, uber important and, you know, made me feel proud to be part of the organization. um, We wanted to to not make it so much uh, social driven as it was organizational driven and, and, come off as valuable as it came across from the organization. If you know what I mean by that, um, it, it can't be one department thinks this, and then this is what we're all doing. It, it's This is truly what we believe in, and we're gonna show it by actions rather than words on a tweet or a picture on Instagram. Um, so that's the approach we've taken. And, and in terms of nowadays, uh, what we're doing, I, I don't think much has changed in terms of strategy because really, how we try to approach social is we don't want to post unless there is something valuable worth posting of course there's some nuances here and there where you have to post where something's not necessarily uh, over overly engaging but for the most part we try to abide by that and, and unless we're posting something that we feel will either entertain people inform people um or provide you know people as an outlet for we try not to do uh too much in terms of frequency and cadence of posting until we feel confident about one of those pillars.
0: makes sense. I mean, you guys are definitely in the epicenter of a lot of the things happening in our world right now. And to be able to be strategic and thoughtful about your voice and the power of your voice too, uh, it seems like it would be inspiring to be a part of that and to see how your organization comes together and has a unified voice. And then- Just, you know, being able to not be focused on just quantity and pushing stuff out, but also having a lens on quality. So I'm very curious, too. Over your six years in sports digital content, how have the players' attitudes, without getting into any specifics, but how have the players' attitudes towards social media and digital content changed do they have a different perspective on it all are they more open to it or anything of that nature yeah you know what I've
1: seen especially with the, the younger players that have come in in the rookie classes over the years is is gradually I, there was never not buy-in but now more than ever and you can see you know by what's happening in the bubble with Matisse, uh, Matisse with the 76ers creating the vlogs and, and all that they're really understanding the the value of it. and, it, and I, I think the next frontier in terms of Sports content and uh, quite a few players are ahead of the curve on this, but it will really be players, um, you know, utilizing and and hiring their own content personnel to to handle their channels because they understand uh, now more than ever the the value that these tools add for them. Um, And and so really for me now, um, in terms of what I've seen in terms of changes, there's rarely a time in which a a player's ever asking, why should I do this? Right. They, They know off the bat how valuable it is to the organization how valuable it is to their brand and, and their social personality and what it means for them in the future um and you know I, I think evidence of that comes in the sense that you know two years ago uh prior to to me coming here um we we didn't necessarily have a, a ton of communication between our players and our social team and now um after every game we're, we're texting uh or sending you know a message over to players with their photos They're in open communication with us, like, hey, I have an event tomorrow here. Can you guys cover this? Um, So it's very one-to-one in terms of their understanding. And um, they actually have a lot of questions as well. So a lot of times they might have a question on their own uh, profiles or or on one of their platforms in terms of, hey, can you help me promote this? Or how can I grow in this? Which has been great to see for us because it's another facet to our job that, um, you know, it's not listed on the responsibilities, but it's a cool part um, of the job for sure.
0: Yeah, to be DMing pictures of the players to them and you know, having that one-on-one, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. I think a lot of people are jealous. I would imagine, too, that this is only going to increase from here because with the college athletes getting the ability to monetize their name, image, and likeness starting in 2021, I mean, they're going to start creating their own brands while they're in college. So when they come to the NBA, it's going to be just very natural to them, and you guys are going to hit the ground running with them, I'd imagine.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll speak personally
0: on the on the team, Carl
1: Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, both of those uh, players have content creators with them, and I, I work very closely with the content creators, I work closely, um, you know, with the players, um, whenever, that, uh, whenever they have personnel from a content perspective, and we're constantly messaging each other, like, hey, I got this shot, do you mind sending me this? Um, Or or sometimes a player might ask, hey, I I need this for Instagram. Can you send me this? Um, So they have a huge understanding uh, of it. And it's great to have two players that are are superstars that really understand what we're doing and what we're trying to do.
0: Shabazz, I can't thank you enough. This has been really, really insightful. We'll finish up with this. Um, For somebody, for you, when you were first breaking into this world of sports, social media and digital content, like you said, there was a lot of skills that you learned once you got in the building and got the job. For somebody starting out now, that challenge may be a little bit different. What would you advise somebody that wants to get where you are or break in with a team? What kind of skills should they be learning? What type of things should they be focusing on to make them the best possible talent out there? So in terms of, um, you know, skills to learn or, or things to bring into the industry, the first thing
1: that I recommend is being as well-versed as you can, um, not only in terms of social and, and the understanding of, of the culture and, and the trends, uh, but also the, the valuable tools that, that you can learn um, in terms of Photoshop, in terms of After Effects, the, the more well-versed you can be with some of these programs that that we work in on a day in and day out basis, um, the more valuable that you'll be as a resource to any organization that that you're joining. And and then, you know, from the interview process, frankly, sports are one of the hardest industries to break in because everyone wants that job. And and so I I think taking an out of the box approach um, and and not to say that you got to do the same thing that the person before you did or that I did, because everyone's journey is very different, but being true to who you are and, and, true to your creativity um, and showcasing that in that interview process is super valuable and and then again i I can't say enough about communication skills and and trying to understand uh, not necessarily have a great knowledge in every single department um, but i think when we talk about social and how quickly it's grown and where the industry is headed uh, the more um, of a basic knowledge you can have regarding everything from paid to Photoshop, to photography, to videography, to video editing, um, to, to just general platform knowledge across TikTok, uh, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You're, you're going to be a very well-versed tool if you're able to have some working knowledge in all of those pieces and you you combine that um, with a creative approach to your interview. Um You know, I'm excited to see there's so many great content creators right now that have just broken into the industry or doing so. Um, And you see it all the time on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, People are showcasing their work. And and that's another thing that I didn't hit on, but showcase your work. You know, utilize your social platforms as an extension of what you can do and and who you are, because I look at that. Um, I know a lot of other hiring managers in social they look at what you can do personally and the tone of the voice that you you embody on your personal platforms um, and, and the creativity that you're utilizing on those platforms, in addition to your professional uh, platforms.
0: Shabazz is great. Thank you so much for coming on. Your experience is one that will be extremely valuable to our entire audience. So I, I really appreciate you sharing everything today and good luck with the future.
1: Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to helping out however I can and if everyone or anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to me um, on any means.
0: Thank you to Shabazz for coming on the show. I was just hanging on his every word throughout that entire time. And I have to tell you all, unless it it wasn't made clear during the interview, uh, Shabazz was moving during this. So, like, literally as we're doing the interview, because I do it through my computer and I can see him as we're talking, he had, like, boxes stacked everywhere and he was getting in the moving process and he was like a hot day. And, I mean, I just really appreciate that he took the time away to, to have this conversation and to share so much great insight for all of you listening at home. So, thank you. Thank you, all of you. And thank you, Shabazz. Uh, Please rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast. Please subscribe so you can keep up on all of our content and become part of our community through our private Facebook group. You can go to Facebook and search for the Work in Sports podcast. Join that community. There's about 2000 people right now who are networking and helping each other through advice in their sports career. Uh, We're trying to build as many communities as we can so that we can share content and help out everyone trying to get their career going or advance in their sports career. It's a unique time, so wear your mask and join our social communities and be part of this podcast. So thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you all soon.